Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour, a Late Night Happy Hour Lando Lakers Live crossover uh, episode, Andy, starring exactly the same people who star in crossover episodes on TV. Yeah, it's like the most anticlimactic of the old Law & Order homicide, uh, those type of crossover episodes where everyone would be really excited because you had Jerry Arbach and then like Andre Brower showing up or whatever. This hey, it's Ice T. It's Richard Belzer. Exactly. No, here. This this is less this is complicated. Just, it's just us, and it's it's us switching back and forth basically between this and this. <laughs> so for branding purposes, it's a it's a it's a slightly different show. But we also do want to remind people that when it is Lando Lakers and Lando Lakers Live, it is of course brought to you by the nice folks at Delicious Pizza. Twenty percent off when you uh, mention Cam Brothers. When you order it online, or when you call it in two locations, West Adams and uh, on Sunset in Hollywood. So uh, go get yourself some pizza because, God damn, Andy, man, the Lakers just stomped up on Miami in game one. So it's a great Lakers way to be hungry. Yep. Great way to celebrate. You are supporting a local business and supporting the local business of a massive Laker fan. Also, you are celebrating that Brian and I managed to work out the red tape and the deal-making to create this crossover episode on such short notice. It was. It was really impressive how we got this done. Yes. Um, all right. So this was um, – I, I want to say it wasn't a walk the whole game. At the beginning of it, there was probably a little bit of concern. The Lakers fell behind big early, um, down 13, uh, very quickly in the first quarter, down 13. The whole – uh, a lot of questions as to whether or not the whole start Dwight Howard thing was a particularly good idea. Miami came out very aggressively putting Dwight in pick and rolls, and the Lakers seemed very slow on their rotations. And all. Then they got the hang of it. Um, Dwight came out of the game. They got the hang of it. And from there, the Lakers, I believe I heard Dave McMenamin say, went on a 70-35 to 35 run. Yes, or 75-30. Uh, either, either one is good. 75, well, but... 75-30 is better That's than 70-35. I'm no mathematician, Andy, but I do know that. That is better. Yes, it is better. <laughs> I just, in my head, did the math because I'm like, wait a minute. Actually, is it better? I was correct. It is better. 75-30 to 30 is a 45-point swing. 70-35 to 35 is a 35 point. So, yes, uh, McMenamin's version of this, and I wrote it down. Um, and I hope I didn't <laughs> do it wrong. Is better. Whatever. Yeah, all, all the, the bottom line is. By the way, when you everybody saw me kind of duck off the screen real quickly, there that was me recognizing that is, this is sort of live quasi television, and um, I had to scratch my nose. And I didn't want to. I did. Somebody out there is going to do like the screen grab with my finger and my nose, and I don't want to be that. So not on this joyous day. Um, so the Lakers' the final score was 116-98. to 98. It was not that close. Uh, the Lakers, um, as I believe our friend Darius Soriano from Foreign Blue and Gold put it, didn't just let their foot off the gas. They just they got out of the car <laughs> completely. They just started walking. Um, and But it doesn't matter. Like Miami went on some sort of 17-2 to run or whatever and brought it to you know 19. Um, the Lakers thoroughly dominated this game so the question becomes though where do we start do you start here with wow they really dominated or do you start with what happened to the heat because 
the worst thing that happened to Miami night was not the final score. It was the injury. So which do you think leads the show tonight, Andy? Um, let's start with the Lakers themselves, just in terms of what we liked from it. You know, I mean, there's, it's a difficult game to really try to analyze and really Correct. break down in Completely terms of agree with those, just because the, the extremes of it with Goran Dragic, not playing the entire second half, uh, bam out of bio, missing a lot of the second half and you know presumably Dragic also was the the foot issue that he had and it turns out um according to multiple uh reporters that he has a plantar fascia tear yeah plantar fascia tear he's going to be reevaluated um apparently has not ruled out according to Woj uh returning to play in the finals right I saw like Joe Johnson Played through a plantar fascia tear at one, in one finals. Uh, I forget when it was. I saw somebody post that. The thing about it is, though, he played like shit. <laughs> so yeah. He was ass, uh, yeah, he, which he, is understandable because he had a torn foot. Yeah. So, I mean, but, but, I mean, depending on, you know, what percentage of Goran Dragic you have, you know, 60% of Goran Dragic is presumably a lot better than the alternative and what comes behind him. I mean, Kendrick Nunn ended up uh, playing a lot in the second half, playing very well, and he's somebody that went from you know being in rookie of the year consideration and playing a big role for Miami in the first half to basically not playing at all in the postseason. And it was funny, you and I were joking before the show began that you know to some degree when Kendrick Nunn gets on the court and gets off to this hot start, there's an element of the Lakers being like, wait, who the hell is that? Like, oh, Kendrick Nunn, like, wait, what does he do again? Like, you know, it probably took five or six possessions where it's like, oh, shit, he's left-handed. Like, I totally forgot about that because, right. I mean, the guy has not played at all. But as soon as you actually start prepping and scouting for Kendrick Nunn, and I, I, I would presume without any judgment at all that the Lakers did very little preparing for none in this game because I mean, why I'm the hell sure would they, scout, they scout they do the stuff but he, but he hasn't played so it's not like you can sit there and look at the film of what all the stuff he did in the right, last exactly. he hasn't played. He hasn't, he's, right, he's played. on the scouting report I, you know Myers Leonard is on the scouting report yeah I guarantee Frank Vogel hasn't spent 30 minutes in film sessions talking about what to do with Myers Leonard because the dude hasn't played this entire bubble correct so you know the, and the reason I bring that up is just sometimes those surprise factors, you'll see that in the playoffs. You know, a guy that really has not played at all having a really hot quarter just because nobody is quite sure what it looks like Correct. with them on the court. And LeBron actually even said after the game that, you know, it's very similar to talking about how after the game one loss against Houston, seeing that speed up close that, that Houston has takes some adjusting to. LeBron actually said, how hard Miami plays was something that they had actually had to get used to a little bit as well. And, and you sort of ease your way into that in terms of adjustments. But I think it's safe to say the Lakers adjusted they, they, and then figured, so. they figured it out. Um, so, look, I mean, they got a great, I'm not, I think the Lakers probably would have won, you know, could have, would have, whatever won this game anyway. And I, I you know, there it's, it, the injuries come in two categories. Um, it's what does it mean for this game? And obviously, you know, Miami playing without Dragic for all but 15 minutes is going to be a problem for them. Like the, the Dragic, we talk about Bam, we talk about Jimmy Butler. 
Dragic has been spectacular inside this bubble, and he, you know, when they the three games that they've lost Miami um, in in the in the in the postseason to this point, Dragic was terrible. Like he shot fourteen percent from three. His scoring average went from like twenty two or twenty three a game to uh, seventeen, I believe, in the three losses. And so only fifteen minutes from him tonight. He was the only guy uh, until Kendrick Nunn at the end who was a plus in the plus minus. He was a plus one in fifteen minutes. Um, you know, Bam played 21 minutes, so they, you know they got the first half out of him. It, I, I, the Lakers very well could have won this game anyway, and that's because AD was awesome, 34 points, looking at it, nine rebounds, five assists, uh, you know, uh, the three blocks, ten for ten from the free throw line, and LeBron was great, you know, the with a almost triple double, 25, 13, and nine. So, I, I think the Lakers played a good game tonight. And they, you know, maybe a very good game. They're never going to lose when they shoot eleven of seventeen and a half from three point range, and that's what they did. You have to separate that from what comes next. Um, they didn't win this game because of the injuries, but they probably win the rest of the series if these guys are this banged up. Yeah, to to this point, you know, scouring around Twitter and trying to uh, see what reporters in the bubble are saying, there doesn't seem to be any word on Bam Adebayo and what exactly is going on with that shoulder injury and, you know, I guess sort of the the feared severity of it, you know, it what that is. Bad. It looked, looked like really a guy who was holding his arm, like, like that arm, because I've done my AC joint, and, like, you, you know, you get that thing where you kind of lean over where you don't want to lift up your shoulder because it hurts too much. Well, well the other thing he did, I'm just saying it hurts. The other thing, too, man, like the – we don't know exactly if it happened from you know getting tangled up with LeBron or that shot that he took from Dwight, and it wasn't a dirty shot, but you know it was definitely a strong impact when he was going towards the basket and Dwight was you know trying to stay with him. A shot like that from Dwight with For, that yeah. physicality and is- on to, on a on a on a, on a- Injury that was already there. I mean, this yeah. is a recurrence of a, of an injury that he had. So, oh gosh. I mean, let's let's talk a little bit more about AD before we get into the, the rest of the series, just because he has been. And I, I, LeBron was asked after the game, you know, what did you say? Did you give AD some advice? All this stuff, and LeBron was like, I didn't tell him anything. Like he's been, he got himself ready. Like he's been, he's been preparing for this. Like he was very. I love that answer from LeBron, making it very clear. Like I, he, I'm not, you know, Yodaing this guy long. He is a, an, a spectacular and elite player who is doing this, you know, out of his own talent and drive and preparation. And you know, first Finals game, eleven of twenty-one, 10, again, ten of ten from the line, thirty-four points. This run that he's on continues and it, it, it continues to be a great story i think oh yeah i mean we talked about this before brian like ad has not been tested at this level before you know before this season he had never been to the western conference finals much less the nba finals he's never been in this type of situation with this type of spotlight and the type of pressure that comes with playing for the lakers with lebron james you know and then on Unfortunately, the you know the tragic element of right. Kobe Bryant's death, and you know the that pressure. In, it seems so far even like a good type of pressure, but the the motivation that comes with really wanting to win this championship for Kobe and to really honor him 
in the way that everybody top down with the organization wants to do. But Anthony Davis's playoff sample size, small and I guess in the grand scheme of things, insignificant as it may have been, has been really strong when, when he was in New Orleans. Like if you looked at his numbers, if you actually watched that series where they took out Portland, he was really, really good. Like Anthony Davis has not been the problem in terms of the Pelicans no, having no. deep sustained runs. You know, he may not have been able to carry certain rosters past a certain point. And sometimes the issue was Anthony Davis himself was hurt. But he's not somebody like a Paul George where you question his playoff record and you question whether or not he's somebody that actually is. I hate throwing on cliches like this, like, you know, built for the, you know, right. built for the postseason. Right. I mean, no, I mean, you're right. It's average, he, he came into, I mean, it, as a career, was, he had something, he was averaging like 30 points a game in the playoffs. But it, it, like you say, it's just the context. And look, I mean, we, we, it tends to get boiled down to did you win or did you lose? But there is, you know, there are guys who don't do as well in the playoffs or can't quite sustain it or, are just, you know, sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. They don't necessarily distinguish themselves regularly, you know, every single time. Like, you know, generally speaking, say 2011, LeBron has. AD kind of has been that guy, just not a, not when it mattered. And, you know, it matters now, and he's killing it. Here's an interesting question from uh, the Roberto Jones or a comment. AD has been the best player in the world the entire playoffs. Do you think Anthony Davis has been the best Laker? Like, do you, it's, it's, you know what I mean? Like, some of this is just how you define it. God, you know, that's interesting. I mean, you're right. I mean, because, I mean, and, and neither one of us are proponents of the, if you take blank off, like, that's not how this no. works. Um, I think he has been the best player on the team. I don't think he's the most important. Does that make sense? Is that too fine a distinction? No, actually, I don't not. think this works without LeBron because, no. the, like, LeBron is the engine that drives all this stuff, but it doesn't. But Anthony Davis has been the standout performer. That is exactly one hundred percent how I would put it too, because I I think if you look at game in game out overall impact and. It's weird to say this about LeBron James, who, you know, beyond being among the greatest players to ever pick up a basketball, is among the most versatile players to ever pick up a basketball. Like the type of defensive versatility that we've seen from Anthony Davis, as locked in as LeBron has been in defensively. Like there are certain things he can't replicate because he's seven inch or he's four or five inches shorter than Anthony Davis. You know what I mean? Like there's certain things that he simply doesn't do by virtue of just being built differently. And, you know, the efficiency that we've seen from Anthony Davis, you know, he's been leading this team in scoring in the playoffs. I agree with you. LeBron ultimately drives this car, you know, and, and nobody is going to drive it better. And part of that driving is the leadership, you know, like he, he's the one that actually decides we, we don't need to put in the map in ways like I know where we're going. Like we, we, we I don't need Siri to tell us where we're going. I, I got this. Like we're not going to go to Google Maps, but that car matters. And Anthony Davis, I think, ultimately has been the car. 
And I guess it's really a question of, you know, what's more important, the driver or the car in, right. in, in a metaphorical race? I, I, here, like, obviously, you need both. Uh, by the way, check out my all-star swag from 2018 cup tonight. I have that cup. Game. Yeah, look at that. I, I have Ooh. that cup. And I remember the first time I saw my daughter, she was probably like three or so, drinking out of that thing, and the front of it reads Jack Daniels. She the front of three in 2018. Um, okay, then maybe it was a different cup. However, is that the one with Jack Daniels on it? Yeah, maybe you're just misremembering how ultra. But I didn't mean to well, derail I mean, that. Look, the point is she's a, a little girl drinking out of a Jack Daniels maybe, cup. Okay, maybe she felt little to me just because again, well, she Andy, they're always she's always you're going to be your little girl. Well, but she especially feels little when she's like, I guess, seven drinking out, drinking of, a out of a Jack Daniels cup. <laughs> We'll get to some questions. I, I left it in there. That's a good one. Do you think Darren Collison regrets not signing with the Lakers? I think he does now. Um, but yeah, leave us uh, leave us your questions in the on the chat board. We'll get to them over the course. Yeah, that's disconcerting. But it's a metal cup. Yeah. And oh, it's a great cup. Drink out of metal. Put icy beverages in metal cups, and they stay cold forever. I think that's actually, by the way, and you know, my days bartending were well before this particular trend but i think the metal cup probably explains the moscow mule trend more than anything else i think people love the cup because yeah. it's all it's always served in well, a metal so technically if you do it right it's out of copper right a moscow mule you did it in like yes. one of those copper mugs i i mean i like i said my bartending days were before that particular trend but i do think the cup is a big big part of it like you know Presentation matters. Like I remember when I did bartend, uh, the Alize was like one of the hot liquors, and that a lot of that was just blue liquor. People thought this like greenish blue liquor looked really cool. Like you know, the, I think Chirac. A big reason Chirac vodka took off is that bottle was really good looking. Like a lot of this is just presentation. Um. What were we talking about before the I, I I got into this whole I have a metal cup thing? Uh, we were talking about Anthony Davis in the playoffs. right, and just how and 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 the difference between LeBron and AD and and who has been the best player. I I, I think we saw though tonight like when the Lakers hit their three pointers and and Harrison Fagan at uh, Silver Screen and Roll had a great stat coming into the finals. The Lakers are twelve and either twelve and zero or fifteen and zero. I forget what it is. Um, when they shoot better than 30% from three. Like, that's not even that good, 30% <laughs> from three. But if they get above 30% from three, they've won every game they've played in, uh, in in the postseason. They were 11 of 17 at halftime from three-point range. They are not going to lose. They, they regressed near the end of the game, but I don't think, it, again, don't think any of this matters. Uh, I don't think anything that happened in the fourth quarter matters at all. They don't; they're not going to lose if they hit threes like that. And we saw the supporting cast. I don't you don't, you don't know who it's going to be night to night. KCP has been quietly very consistent. Uh, hit a couple big threes early in the in the game from uh, from the corner. On, I'm not sure it was consecutive possessions, but close to it that helped get them back in the game and on a roll. But you, I've reached the point now where I am confident that it is going to be someone. It'll be KCP. It'll be Caruso hit a couple big shots early. Uh, Morris hit a couple. You know, whoever it's going to be, someone will play well enough for the Lakers to win games within a series. 
I don't worry about the supporting cast in the same, nearly the same way as I did um, coming into the uh, into the playoffs. So now you have elevated LeBron, really elevated AD, and a good enough group of guys around them, and that's why this whole thing is working as well as it is. I was going to say it's really significant hearing you say this because this is something that you had worried about a lot over the course of the season, a lot heading For into sure. the bubble. You know, I mean, I. You and I actually not without I, cause. I, I didn't say it was without cause, sure. but I'm but I'm just saying it's something that really you saw as a pretty major potential Achilles well, I, heel. I, 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 you, I think a couple things have have created it. First of all, every every bit better that LeBron and Davis are take makes it easier for the other guys to be good. Like it may it gives them more space. To be to have either a bad game, it means they have that much more room, literally space to shoot. Um, it gives them a little more flexibility. I think it gives them more confidence to know that these guys are doing what they're doing. And let's make no mistake. I mean, this this thing is still being shouldered by those two guys, first and second and third most, um, you know, throughout. But you know, they still have to they still have to do it. And I think the way that Caruso has found a really good niche. I think the way that KCP has found a niche. I think the fact that Kuzma has been made kind of irrelevant offensively, and they've they've they are now sixteen and three in the postseason. Is wait, is that right? No, no. I'm sorry, thirteen and three. Um, you got to win six. If you win sixteen, yes. you're done. Sixteen, you win the whole thing. Um, so they're thirteen and three in the postseason, and Kuzma has been made irrelevant. And I think that is. That's been that's stunning to me because before we all thought Kuzma was going to have to be pretty good for them to get through. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I know I wrote a lot about that for the Athletic, just in terms of you know this being such a significant thing for Kuzma, and you know he really had been inconsistent a lot over the course of this season, and some of that I do think had to do with being injured to start the season and never really coming out of the gate on the same page as everybody else but some of this was just he wasn't he wasn't playing well you know he he wasn't doing the things that were expected of him but i think he's done a really good job the, this season especially in these playoffs just accepting the idea of whatever is needed of me is whatever is needed of me and you know whatever i used to think was needed of me you know, the way I used to define my value and my worth and my mission statement as a basketball player, that's going to have to change in order for me to find a role with this team this season. And Kuzma clearly cares about winning a championship. You know, I, I actually asked him after, I don't remember if it was after the Lakers closed out Denver or after a recent practice, but, you know, I asked him just about the idea of, you know, it's you could have ended up a member of the Pelicans or you could have potentially ended up a member of a different team just because we saw how much had to happen in order for the Lakers to bring in Anthony Davis, which means by definition, everybody that wasn't LeBron was potentially on the table. The, the Lakers, by all accounts, worked to keep Kuzma, but some of that had to do with, look, he is a very inexpensive theoretical third option and his theoretical skill set, we're not going to be able to replicate that right. with our cap situation. 
So, you know, some of that was practicality. Some of that was them genuinely liking Kuzma. But either way, there's a very real chance he could have been somewhere else. And he is the only he's the only real survivor of last year's team. I mean, you you know, other than the guys that they brought back in terms of tradable assets. No, he was he was they literally moved everybody else. Uh, And And he's very aware of how tenuous his current, you know, his current status with the Lakers is and, you know, and how on earth too. Kyle Kuzma could be on a different team. Well, on and, you know, one, he could, like you said, it's tenuous. He could be on a different team next year because what I'm, what we're talking about here is not great for his long term prospects unless he's willing to play for less money. If he wants to get paid, it's gonna. This shows it's gonna be somewhere else. He's not gonna make. He's not gonna make the money he wants as a scorer here because it's been made very clear they don't need him to be that guy, and there's no space for him to do it anyway. Yeah, I mean. I remember years ago um, when we covered the 2009-2010 championships teams, I wrote a piece about Jordan Farmar um, during what turned out to be his last year with the Lakers, and it was heading into the Phoenix Sun series because that was sort of a come full circle moment for him because uh, for people who remember, Jordan Farmar ended up starting uh, that 2007 opening round against the Suns when Smush Parker ended up getting – benched right at the end of the season Laker luminaries yes but uh Jordan Farmar ended up playing you know he was starting in that series and you know frankly got eaten alive by Steve Nash as a lot of players more experienced than him did but I I wrote a piece about Jordan and I, I I talked with him a lot about just his fit with the Lakers in the triangle you know he was still a backup to that point he was playing behind Fisher and you know it was not the way he saw his career and what I thought was really interesting about it is I think for, I always thought, and I, I wrote this in the piece, that Farmar thought he was a better player than he was, particularly Correct. at that time. I think that's true. But also, I think he had a legitimate claim that the way Phil wanted him to play didn't play to his strengths and therefore was holding him back. And as much as I think Farmar inflated his own worth and you know talent as a player – I also thought he was right. Sure. Like he, he was not. Yeah. A well, I mean, look, and in, in, multiple things can be true at one time. And in the exactly. case of Kuz, you know, he, he is a, he's a good scorer. I think he's a little overrated as a scorer, but he's a good scorer. I mean, he's shown that if you, if you give a, I think it's hard for me to picture him being a, a really elite scorer or high end scorer on a good team, like a really good team with, you know, two or three of those other guys on it. But, you know, on a on a lesser team, he could, he did it last year with the Lakers. On a lesser team, we go out and get a lot of shots. He's going to put the ball in the basket. I have a ton of respect for what he's done. I mean, if we we like to make the jokes, you know, that the 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 snitch line was for Kyle Kuzma, like that was the, the NBA <laughs> established the snitch line specifically. Well, like you call it, it the Kuzma help. It didn't help that during the pandemic, he yeah. and his lady went to that part. They went to that the record party. Yes. And the theme of the party was everybody showing up in hazmat suits, which by definition means the theme of this party is none of y'all should uh, be here. Exactly. And it's so not like, safe for you to be I mean, here. Coos is very aware of sort of being Coos and the Coos brand and all that. And he can do that. And it's it sort of sometimes, you know, when he shows up to, you know, around Christmas or whatever it was in the mesh shirt and all that. 
it projects a certain unseriousness that is not fair to him because yes. he is also a guy who tries really hard to be good and wants really to be good and you know came into camp this year setting a bar for himself that frankly didn't clear but most guys under promise and over deliver he over promised and tried to meet meet the expectations and that that says something about him and like given what he has done here like he's come in and he plays defense and he's trying hard and it you know and he's better at it than he was before and you know maybe somewhere in the back of his mind is like if i'm going to get a ring in this league this might be my shot at it so i'm going to go in there and do it because either they're going to trade me or i'm going to sign somewhere else where i can get paid um and so i'm going to put it in now and and that's that's fine i don't have a problem with that well the other thing too is it, if he's going to get paid at all off this season or this season is going to convince another team that he's setting himself up to get paid, it's going to be by showing the other stuff that he can do. Because at this point, everybody knows he can provide what might be considered empty calorie scoring. Right. You know what I mean? Like He's done it before. And we've also, to be fair to Kuzma, seen him on this team if he is in a position to be the second scorer either alongside yeah, RAD or alongside LeBron. So, you know, maybe he could actually be on a good team that happens to just have more backcourt scoring. Maybe. And, needs maybe, yeah, maybe. and if he plays defense, that, that makes a difference. But, you know, right all that matters, and I always and I always say this when we talk about Kuz and well, when AD is out or when LeBron is out, he steps up and he's here. None of that matters. It's it's interesting and it's it's relevant to him. Um, but it, it's irrelevant to the Lakers and it's irrelevant in the context of this team because all that matters with this team is how well do you play with Anthony Davis and LeBron James? Because there's never going to be a situation where Kuz is like out there instead of those guys or out there with the focus where he's the focus instead of those guys. So all that matters is how you play in the context of having those two dudes. And it's not that he's been terrible, but like his skill set doesn't, he's not a good enough shooter. You know, the shooting didn't come around. It really hasn't cut. It got off to a really strong start in the bubble as a three point shooter. And it's faded since then. He's gone back to what he was before. It, it's, he's not a great fit with those yeah. guys. They found, I mean, like, better, they found better ways to do it. The flip side being, you know, Alex Caruso has shown. He is a fantastic fit with both LeBron and AD. You know, I mean, Car Caruso is eventually, if he if he plays like this and keeps improving, he's yeah. going to end up getting himself into you know a better economic situation. He's going to put himself, you know, in the ability to make more money. But as long as AD is on this team, for as long as LeBron is on it, I guess as well too. But his career is obviously going to wrap up before Anthony Davis's. You're going to be thinking about Caruso as a guy that plays well, more important, with AD. more important, more valuable. But even though the one, you know, and KC, uh, KCP actually, has, he has turned into mana, mana, uh, mana from heaven, Andy. Right. I mean, well, as we've talked about before, he, KCP's salaries, as he's been, I guess, considered something of a, a Rich Paul clutch tax. The tax at least keeps getting lower. Lower, like it keeps getting it keeps getting progressively it's lower. It's it's become quite reasonable, right? Like to the point where you know when KCP is eventually playing alongside Brawny on this team, like he's going to be a bargain. 
Like he, he's going to be making like a mil, you know, mil and a half veterans minimum. Right. Yeah, but, yeah. But KCP but, has shown this season he plays very well alongside LeBron and alongside AD. Yeah. You know what exactly that costs? I don't know. No, but I just say, granted, LA points out on the chat. You know, I, Kuzma never used to pass. He sees the court now. It's all of this is true. Like, he is really has worked on and improved, and 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 I think you're right. Made that conscious choice of okay, I can't do the thing that I, so I'm going to pass a little bit better. I'm going to look. You know, it's not. I mean, he's not Magic Johnson, but he's not supposed to be. But he makes better decisions passing the ball than he did he before. Terrific pass tonight, driving and then dishing yeah. to AD cutting along the baseline. Yeah. It's a fantastic I mean, he did it. he's done a, he's done had a few of those moments. And so I give him a lot of credit as somebody who's been pretty critical of um of Kuzma over the course of the year. Again, I don't think with unfairly or without cause. Um just that he he deserves credit for not sulking and not you know pouting that he, he can't do that stuff so um what happens andy do you think if um dragic is either limited I mean, he's going to be limited um or can't play i think the series is done i don't think they can win without dragic no i'm it's an interesting question because you know there we're still waiting to find out what happens with bam at and i saw some people in the chat were saying that they're reporting that he will play in game two but even then, is he going to be reporting? You know, is he going to be playing, but playing, you know, severely limited? I mean, he's not. He's really not going to be a hundred percent for the rest of this series. It all remains to be seen. But I, I feel like in some ways, Bam's absence would be felt more, even even if Dragic, even if Dragic, who has really, really been playing well, you know, is obviously very important to Miami. I feel like without Bam. They have no players who matter who can even sort of replicate and, and match up against the Lakers' size. And we right. saw how much trouble Miami was having with the Lakers' size in this game with Bam. Without Bam, I don't know where you go. Yeah, I because I, because they're not built. They're not, not built to play. Well, Miami is not built to play small as a strategy. Like really, that small. They're, that's not going well, to be. Well, they, they're they're. They're they play without centers, traditional centers. But yeah, they're not like micro ball. Right. I mean, Miami's not I, I don't picture Miami, you know, tr- finding success going the Houston Rockets route. Like I but I mean, I the, biggest, the biggest problem is just those are their best players. I mean, it's it, it, we're not even talking about what style this that like the replacements are are basically irrelevant we're talking about a team that doesn't play a lot of guys deep into their bench anyway and you know you you take oh they are let they okay maybe a little bit more depth they are they're they're short at the top end compared to davis and, and lebron good as bam and Dragic and uh and uh jimmy butler are they're still not Close, really. I think to AD and LeBron as a as a as a star tandem. If you know Dragic is out or limited, if Bam is less than able to play at a you know an elite you know sort of elite for Bam level, whatever his top level is. You know, and don't forget, Jimmy Butler rolled an ankle. I I, I think Jimmy Butler seems to me to be the kind of guy like if the ankle literally had fallen off, he'd still figure out how to kind of just saunter off the court like swag style like he doesn't show pain 
But if if two of those three guys are genuinely limited and or out, they have no chance to win the series because they don't have enough good players. No. It no, doesn't I matter can't. whoever. They don't have enough good players left. And F you 2020 for taking away our NBA finals. Yeah, I really hope that's not the case. I mean, I, I A, the Lakers don't want to beat a watered-down version of the Heat. I mean, they, they, they've been through so much getting to this point. You know that they want to feel every single bit of Be, satisfaction. Especially since people are already going to give them shit for not having to play the Clippers in the box. Right, as if that's their fault. You right. Know, but you're correct. Like they're, they're going to want to feel like they took out the best competition possible, especially after spending. They've been in this bubble since fucking mid-July. Like it is easy to forget that we are almost yep. in October. They entered this thing in mid-July. So the idea that they I really I mean, Anthony Davis said afterwards that, you know, you never want to see guys get hurt. And you want to beat the best version of teams. And I know. I know that can be cliched in some ways, just in the sense that it's unquestionably an opportunity for a team if the opposing team loses somebody important. That being said, I genuinely believe they want to beat the best version of this Miami team. Absolutely. I, mean, I really do. For two reasons. First of all, like they're better. Like I mean, I know like they were not a universal pick to win the title. I get that, but they were, you know. The, the, you know, Vegas has them at very, very strong odds. Most basketball people pick the Lakers to win this series. And so they're, I think they're aware of, like you said, that factor of, oh, they backed into it, whatever it might be. And so if you already think that you're better than the other team, you want, and, and you think you can and should win, you want to have that fully intact deal there. So you don't have to listen to that shit when you're done with it. But then these guys are competitive and they they don't want to feel like they got some sort of watered down thing. They'll take the ring, don't get me wrong, but they don't want to feel like they backed into it or lucked into it or didn't have to, you know, face something or you know that that the other guys had to do to get their title. Nobody wants that. No. I mean, these guys work really really hard to get to this point. They are super super competitive. And they they take pride in who they take out. Like th this is something that matters to them. And you know, I mean, LeBron LeBron, for example, has been on the other side of this. You know, in 2015, when he had to compete against the Warriors without Kyrie Irving, without Kevin Love, you know, on a team that would have been considered the underdogs anyway. Right. You know, one side of this you could say is, you know, turnabout is fair play. This is the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. And this is part of sports. But LeBron knows how that feels on the other side. You know, just just knowing knowing how it's going to eat at you as a team, thinking about the what if, you know, you you just it's a bad feeling for everybody involved. And I'm not saying he's going to take mercy on the heat if that's no, the way you go it out is. And you, you win this in four or five if you right. if, instead of six or seven. But I, but I think all of these guys have experienced enough of this to know, especially if you're confident in your team, and there's no reason for the Lakers not to be confident because I think they're the better team anyway, they want to take on the best version of Miami. And, and we want to watch the best version of Miami because that gives us the best playoffs, gives us the best finals. You've cut out or your volume still on? I don't hear you.
How about now? Now I hear you. There we go. Um, the you know, I mean, would the Clippers have beaten the Lakers in the last round? I don't know. They didn't beat Denver. Like, you know, I mean, the, the way that Trez was playing and the way that uh, Lou Williams was playing, I don't. I think the Lakers would have made them irrelevant in this series, and you know, taken a lot of that depth and a lot of the stuff that made you think the Clippers had a good chance, and and made those guys kind of unplayable. Um, I think the way the Lakers were doing it would have been you know, so. I would say it's really hard to judge. The Clippers never became the Clippers that they were supposed to be. Could Milwaukee have been giving? Would Milwaukee have given the Lakers a better series? Well, if Adebayo and and Dragic are hurt or you know can't play at hundred, you know, okay, fine. But they've got dusted by Miami. So it's like, how do you necessarily say that these aren't the best teams and they haven't played the best? You know, whatever Denver was the best team that was left. Um, they outplayed a Clippers team that disappointed. It doesn't mean that Denver wasn't good. Miami has been steamrolling people in the playoffs. They beat a really good Celtics team. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly what the criticism is or the counterfactual is, but at the very least, I do know that if the Lakers beat a Heat team that doesn't have Dragic and Bam misses a game or is playing with one arm, this is there will be people out there who try to diminish the accomplishment. Yeah, and it really sucks because you know the Lakers and for that matter the Heat have been through a lot to get to this point. You know, I, I would feel bad for Miami along those lines, just for again, for everything you know you've been through. I know, yeah. I know Jimmy Butler has really enjoyed the bubble and he's you know born a coffee empire out of it, and he seems to be the one person on the planet who just loves being there more than like life before the pandemic. Like th this seems to be in some ways the greatest thing that ever happened to Jimmy Butler. But, you know, for most of these guys, this has been a slog of sorts, yes. you know, Groundhog Day. So I, I would like to see everybody feel some sense of satisfaction. Oh, well, and to go, through, to go through all of this and then not be able to play in the finals. Like you work that hard to get the finals and then you can't do it. I mean, that just sucks. Um, good question from Secker Cruz. Uh, will JaVale play in this series? Seems like his skill set won't be helpful against the Heat. Um, by now, everybody knows Dwight Howard started the game. Uh, Andy, you asked Frank Vogel afterwards why. It was interesting. It was less about Dwight and starting and this as it was, I think we can only play one center based on what they do with their reserves. And Dwight played really well against Denver. So that's what we did. It, I, I, it was an interesting answer to the question that it had less to do with the starting lineup for the Lakers than it did the reserve lineup for the Heat and, and kind of making that matchup ahead of time. Well, you and I actually talked about this on the last Land of Lakers podcast. Just how will how will Frank Vogel look to take on this team that is smaller than them? And we saw them go much smaller than they typically do against Houston and then go back to size as much as they possibly could against Denver. Yes. And, you know, what I call the Lakers playing medium ball in some ways feels like the most natural solution against Miami because, like we talked about before, other than Bam, they don't have any size that matters at all on, on Miami. And, you know, Markeith has played very well. You know you're going to want to keep him in the rotation. Obviously, Anthony Davis isn't going anywhere. So just the degree to which they would use Dwight and or JaVale at all 
you know, it was an interesting question. I, I know you had thought that they were going to start with JaVale. Rotation. Well, yeah, and, and, as, as sort of the is sort of the, just the baseline. He said, like he actually said in the answer, like that's sort of how we've done it. Um, they were a little concerned about falling behind against a Miami team that started series very well. Um, but really, like it just basically came down, we can only play one of the guys. Like some of that was based on the assumption that both would play a little bit. Who do you start? And I think to some degree, the starting question is kind of it's a little bit irrelevant in that way because you're 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 just kind of matching up. But if they already knew how they were going to match up with Morris and AD, you know that kind of Morris Kuzma combination with AD at the five, then you can start whoever you want. If, well, if, if the rest of it would have been figured out already, it's interesting though because you're. I, I agree and I don't agree in the sense that Frank's answer, without just coming out and saying it made it clear that he thought Dwight played much better against Correct. Denver. No question. No question. Rolling a player that was better, more recently better. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that – Yeah, I didn't mean to mis- discount that. And also, sure. too, against a physical guy like uh, Adebayo, you know, Dwight as a larger body. But like you saw in that first quarter, Miami exploited Dwight yeah, in in space, you know, you and I were, you know, were text, early. You and I were texting back and forth. You actually said something interesting about the the nature of this blowout, and you know the Lakers being in such control of this game going into the third quarter, and then you know Dragic not playing. It, it made it so they couldn't really test whether or not Dwight was truly playable in this series. Because the the thing was so out of hand by the well, second no, I half. Actually, well, I I would say the opposite. The lead, if they, if that game is a two point game at halftime, it's a one point game at halftime, or whatever it is, instead of a seventeen point game. It, I do think. I wonder if Frank would have come back with, and Frank and I are on a first name basis now. Um, um, I, I wonder if he would have come back with with Dwight to start the second half because it went so badly. The first time, um, I mean, the, the Lakers got torched in the in the minutes that he played in the first quarter. It at least gave them an opportunity. I, again, I don't know how much you learn from it, but you know, the start of the third quarter, it's still a basketball game, right? But and but so, it's a start of a third quarter without Goran Dragic being able to do that pick no, and roll. That you're was right, you're right. I'm not saying again, not saying it's the same thing, but at least you can I go out and try again and see. Oh yeah, shit! This isn't going to work. Or oh, you know what? If we fix A, B, and C, we can do it again. He only played 15 minutes tonight, and I think, generally speaking, you're not going to see a lot of centers in this series. You know that much going forward. But what I think what we saw tonight that will be pretty clear, and tell me if you disagree, is that you will only see one of however many minutes centers get. It'll only be one of them. Well, yeah, yeah because ultimately the most important center on this team is Anthony Davis. Correct. So I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's always going to be something interesting, like in the sense of if you ever have to go back to JaVale for some reason, how he reacts to it, you know, that, that sort of thing. But I don't blame Frank for if he's going to pick between one of the two, picking Dwight. Dwight's been better. Dwight's been better. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, let's see here. This is, I, I, I hate this question, but, I mean, it's an interesting one. When LeBron wins the title, and it, it's looking like it's coming, um, does this solidify him as the greatest player ever? What do you think, if anything, changed? Because I do feel like – I know you hate this question. Like, you know, I, I hate it. 
I do feel like there's at least a little bit of a shift in how people are talking about LeBron as the greatest ever. Like, I do feel like, again, not necessarily better than Jordan, but like, I think, I think this year is in, in these playoffs have reminded people kind of given a renewed appreciation for what he's doing and shifted the conversation a, around him where I, this is going to sound really weird and stupid, but like where you can call him the best ever and just sort of pretend Michael Jordan isn't a thing. You know what I'm saying? Like people want to call him the best ever, but they don't want to have the Jordan argument. Well, I think some of this just comes down to, are you, are you really counting the rings first and foremost? Because if you're counting the rings first and foremost, he's not going to beat Jordan, I think, for most people. He just isn't. I mean, because... But even if he catches him with the sixth ring, he still has losses and Jordan never did. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for, for people who count the rings and blank an O in the finals is the most important thing. And also just the Michael Jordan aura. I mean, Michael Jordan still... His presence still lords over the NBA and lords over yes. sports, even as a retired player. And it, it's it ain't because he's the owner of the Hornets. You know the two I saw that I read this the other day. The two most popular players among I, I want to say Gen Z, and I, I, I forget which Gen down like two or three from us they pulled. But do you know who the two most popular players were? Well, obviously one of them is Michael Jordan. Correct. The other one I'm going to say is LeBron, Kobe Bryant. Huh. So wow. that's well, you know that that yeah. really that's really interesting because a lot of that generation didn't see the best version of Kobe. Like that's really interesting, actually. I mean, like depending on what the cutoff and what defines Gen Z, you know, I mean, Kobe, the last four years of his career he was not playing a lot and was certainly not Kobe like you know the Kobe of legend you know you you go back several years before you really see peak you know peak Kobe or just Kobe when he really was Kobe and some of this could be influenced by you know obviously events but absolutely I mean what it just what it's what the reason I, I mention is just because it it reminds you that in some ways, like MJ exists at this point as almost as much as a, as a concept as he does a basketball player. Like, you know, again, I go back to the most stunning thing that I, that I took out of um, the last dance was remembering that Michael Jordan played college ball in an era without a three point line. Like, that's how long ago Michael Jordan was in college. And I don't think of him as that era. Michael Jordan was teammates in college with James Worthy, who I think of as a, a player from a different era and generation than Jordan. They played on the same fucking college team, for God's sakes. So it's like Jordan has reached that point where he's not a player, he's an idea, and he's a, a symbol. And he's, he's all of a sudden in the last dance did nothing to kind of dispel that. Um you know, but whereas whereas LeBron is still out there and doing it and kind of reminding people what he was. And in 30 years, when people are going to look back and go, oh, my God, I can't believe I forgot that LeBron was playing. Like, LeBron's going to be a concept. Um, you know, time does weird things to these arguments. 
Yeah, that's an interesting way of thinking about it, actually. I mean, I've talked about this a lot before, that part of the reason that I can't stand the compare MJ to pick player X is it's a rigged parlor game. Right. And it's like it's like when you go to a carnival and they're you're throwing the fish, you know, the the ping pong ball inside the little fish bowl and it's rigged so you can't win this thing. Usually this thing, these Michael Jordan the fish that they give you is going to die in like three days anyway. Exactly. I mean, you're really, nobody comes out ahead, right. especially the fish. You're dropping 20 to 30 bucks to try to win a goldfish that's going to die before you even get home. Right. Go, like, to a, go to a place like sells for <laughs> or, or go to, <laughs> I was going to say, go to, go to a, a shelter. What you, go what to a goldfish shelter, you know, like a no-kill goldfish shelter. Get get your goldfish, not from a breeder. Right. You go, you go to a no-kill shelter. I, I, what, what kind of fish? I don't know. It's just some sort of mutt. We we picked it up at the at the pound. But, but all of the but all of these, whether it was MJ Kobe or MJ Penny Hardaway, MJ Iverson, MJ LeBron, you know, down the line, these have all existed. Basically, to pe- to set up some poor schmo as not Michael Jordan, correct? Because that always was the end game. He ain't Jordan. So after a while, it's like, well, then why are we playing this game? Like, if we're just going to say that nobody can ever pass Jordan, let's stop playing this game, or at least let's start thinking about the game differently. And if you start thinking about the game differently, the uniqueness of LeBron as a player and his career and you know what he's done going to nine finals in 10 years even if he hasn't won them all and to be to be able to play at a level at his age with this type of mileage that is something jordan not only never did he never came close to doing and and that should at least matter a lot you know like it's it's part of what i think get, you know leaves kareem getting the short end of this stick like the longevity of Kareem's career as a really significant player, I think gets slept on a lot. You know, like a game-changing, you know, game-influencing player. And, you know, Michael Jordan's influence was about more than just the game, obviously, and that's part of what has made him just the consensus goat for so long. That, and he was really damn good. Like, there's no reason not to say Michael Jordan but I do think we have to at least, if LeBron ends up getting his fourth championship, 10th tenth trip to the finals, did it with three different teams, you have to at least start thinking about just the overall span and the significance of all that and what, like, just really right. what and, that all means. And it puts in, I don't say, I don't put this up in Johnny Berry notes, why do we only count the 6 0 finals record and not include all the times MJ lost in the playoffs? And, like I don't put that up there to again, like kind of fuel the who's better thing, but it is. It's a great reminder uh, from Johnny that we penalize getting to the end and losing more than we penalize people for not getting there at all. LeBron, who is, and I always get this wrong. He's three and five in the finals, correct? Well. He is three and six, but yeah. in my mind, he should be three and five because I don't count 2007. No, that doesn't count. No, he only the only reason that he has that loss in 2007 against the Spurs that they got swept is because LeBron was good enough to carry that team. That team would have never yeah, exactly. come close so to it. It is a weird thing that LeBron James would be better off 
like in this whole argument, had he just lost in the first round a couple times instead of getting to the finals? Yeah. Like imagine what would ha- how we would think of LeBron if he had lost in the first round in 2011. He'd have gotten hammered then, but then he wouldn't have lost to Dirk in the worst performance, the one that always gets attached to him because now he's got that 2017 or whatever it is that that dragged that like that team was terrible and no business in the finals. He, you know, single-handedly kept broken Cleveland teams in against the Warriors and actually managed to beat them the one time as well. So it's like, you know, if you if if he would have been fortunate enough to lose in the second round or the Eastern Conference Finals instead of actually, you know, wetting the bed or you know, whatever against Dallas, the whole thing gets better. But why why doesn't he get credit? It's it, it's a weird thing we do in sports. We do that. You know, I used to write about this and say this all the time. For a lot of people, you know, basketball media, a lot of basketball fans, Kobe had to win his fourth championship to win his first. You know, in in the way that everybody needed to see him do this without Shaq. And, you know, on one hand, I understand it to a point because this was something that was actually important to Kobe. You know, Kobe has been was candid about wanting to show that he could do this as the unquestioned focal point of a team the unquestioned leader, unquestioned number one option. And I get, I get all that, and I think it was admirable. But the that idea of him having to win his fourth to win his first in some ways reduces him to a passenger alongside Shaq between 2000 and 2002, and that's just ridiculous. Like, you know, the idea of could, could Shaq have won championships without Kobe? If you'd put in like a different two guard, if you put in Iverson, if you put in T Mac, if you put in Vince Carter, you know, Paul Pierce, pick the best two guards of that era. Do I think he could have won one? Absolutely. Those players I all named are really good. Ray Allen, whoever. Do I think he could have won one? Yeah. Two, maybe. Three straight, absolutely not. No. It needed to be Kobe specifically because nobody else was as good as him. Like period, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's that complicated a concept. Yeah, I. It's just, I mean, this is, it, it's, it, it's, it's, you know, hot take sports radio e type stuff. But it, you know, the, I, I just, I, I, I didn't see Jordan in any meaningful way. I, I, I saw him play with the Wizards. I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, live. I mean, I, obviously, I watched low key. Those were his sports. best years. As far as I know, <laughs> but like as as a as in this in this world and in doing what I do, like I never saw him play with the Chicago Bulls live. Saw him play with the Wizards. Wasn't the same experience. Um, you know, I, I watched Kobe. I and now I've seen LeBron up close and watched him play. And I, is Jordan better? Maybe I. I but like, was Kareem better? I, okay, all I know is LeBron is um, unbelievable. And to have the chance to sit here and watch and and appreciate and and be around people now in an era where people are better at explaining basketball now than they were 25 or 30 years ago. There's you know all the mechanisms of video and you know Mo DeKeel and you know Pete Zayas and all these people who are putting out these great little bits on Twitter during games and and helping people understand like. I get to do that with LeBron at a time where people can even help me who follows the game understand why LeBron is so much better than, than, you know, it's just fun. 
Like yeah. the worst part about these arguments is they suck the fun out of great players. I, it doesn't matter if a guy is the third best or the seventh best on a planet with like a billion or seven billion people or whatever it is. Being third is really good. <laughs> I, I have said it before. I've said before many times, as great as Michael Jordan was, and I used to love watching MJ play, in some ways, Michael Jordan ruined sports because Michael Jordan created this entire narrative and prism through which we now evaluate and discuss everything in yes. sports. And honestly, that prism kind of sucks. It does. It, it really, really sucks. Um, all right, before we go, let's uh, – I mean, I – you said Lakers in seven. I said Lakers in six. Uh, I don't think anything that happened tonight will get us to uh, switch teams. Um, no, it's really, I'm pretty good about the Lakers. It's really hard even to say like what happens next until you know people are saying Bam's going to play. Um, no, I mean, I mean maybe Dragic tries, maybe he doesn't, maybe he can, maybe he can't. It, if those I just I'll just say if those guys are diminished, then the Lakers are going to win this in four or five. They're yeah. Miami is not going to win if those guys aren't capable of playing. It's just yeah. it sucks because this would have been a fun series. I, I, I hate to say that. Healthy. I hate to say that, but you're not wrong. Um, yeah. Uh, if you missed it, I'll throw the banner up there one more time. Uh, Lando Lakers live slash late night happy hour crossover episode starring exactly the same people that you see in both shows <laughs> and literally nobody else. Uh, that was tonight, but tomorrow, uh, Mo DeKeel will talk a lot about this. Hopefully, have a little bit more information about what's going on with some of those Miami players. Uh, Friday, we'll be back with some game two analysis, and then Vinny Bonsignor, who covers the Raiders for uh, the Las Vegas Courier newspaper journal thing out there. <laughs> I'm he worked for a newspaper. He also knows the Rams really well. He yeah, covered he covered the Rams. The Rams. So we'll, we'll get ready for NFL week four with Vinny on Friday. And then uh Monday is Josiah Johnson. Josiah Johnson. So we got we, this is just a, a good string of stuff. I don't even know how much longer the basketball season will last. We got some good guests coming up. Um, one more reminder, go to Delicious Pizza, 20% off, and you use Cam Brothers as a code there. Two locations, West Adams and in Hollywood on Sunset Great Pizza. Big Lakers fans, support your local businesses. We will see everybody tomorrow night at 10. Dark in Nederland. <laughs> <laughs>